0: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Last year, at least 60 people died of an opioid-related overdose on the CTA. That is not simply a data point. Each one of those 60 people has a different story, and the opioid crisis has touched the lives of many more in Chicago. I spoke with Katie Prout, a Chicago Reader reporter, who investigated the issue of opioid-related deaths on CTA property, as well as Daniel Rusick, a Chicagoan who has relied on Narcan to help himself and others, and Sheila black Henneke, a volunteer on the West Side Opioid Task Force. Sheila lost her son to an opioid overdose in 2021. He was found by a CTA worker at a stop on the Blue Line, according to a public records request. And I started by asking her to tell
1: us more about her son. David was just a force of nature from the day he was born. And, um, Brilliant, very smart, Um, too smart at times, always trying to find a way around something. And as he grew, he struggled with attention deficit and some mental health issues. It eventually led him into substance use disorder as a teenager. And by the time he passed, he was 29 years old. He was a polysubstance abuser. He was using opioids along with um, different amphetamines. And so when he was found, the cause of death was fentanyl but he had other substances in his body, which is fairly typical. Mm -hmm. He was still breathing when he was discovered at the end of the blue line at the Rosemont stop on the evening of November 16th, midnight. Um, And by the time the Rosemont uh, responders came, they couldn't revive him. So um, I don't blame the CTA. I think everyone did everything they they were supposed to do, but it did drive home for me that... uh, Narcan, which is a life-saving antidote to an overdose, Mm -hmm. had it been available, could have made a difference. He had been revived by Narcan in the past, different times, which is not unusual for people who have used. So um, I was delighted to find the task force so that I could start to advocate to get Narcan on the CTA.
0: I mean, and you had watched him struggle with addiction for quite some time. You talk about, you know, teenage years to 29
1: Yes, as a mom. Yeah, what's that like? Terrible, because you want to save your child. I mean, we tried everything we could. We um, he was in rehab over a dozen times. Um, You know, we spent a lot of money, a lot of time, and you feel like you can never do enough. And I still, to this day, wonder what else we could have done. But what I learned throughout is that um, you have to love people. You have to love them for who they are. People are not going to. Recover if they don't feel cared for. And so um, at the time of his death, we were reconciled to the fact that he might not ever stop using, but we were never going to stop loving him. Mm -hmm. And so we were always there to support him where we could. We had just signed a lease on an apartment for him to move into. He had had periods of homelessness, and um, he was there two weeks, and then we got the call at 2 a.m. that he had been found. As you
0: mentioned, you're, you're now a volunteer. Uh, you're working with the Westside Heroin and Opioid Task Force. I'm sure thinking of him motivates this work.
1: Absolutely. And it's just um, the first year after his death, I was kind of on... Autopilot, and then as I started to get more energy, I decided I wanted to get trained in Narcan, and the task force does that along with so many other things. It was really wonderful to find this community of people who had been around for a long time. The long established representative LaShawn K. Ford started the group, and they just welcomed me with open arms and were very receptive to the idea of a subcommittee for Narcan on the CTA. And so we actually did an an action um, for the International Overdose Awareness Day in August where a group of us got on the green line and just handed out almost 100 Narcan kits, not Mm -hmm. just to people who might be using, but to everyone on the train. And that's really my mission is to try to empower CTA riders so that they can help if they see somebody in need of Narcan. Chicago Reader reporter Katie Prout, let's let's bring
0: you in here because you set out to find out how many people... Have been affected by overdoses on the CTA. Tell us more about what led you to pursue the story.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I've been working on reporting on overdoses, specifically opioid overdose deaths in Chicago since 2020. And in my reporting, I've got to know people who are unhoused, who use the CTA for shelter, and who often use drugs themselves. And I had heard stories throughout the years of people overdosing or witnessing an overdose or bringing someone back or themselves coming back, um, over the years. And there was a story that I heard from a source that I called Alan, um, in the story in the beginning of this year. And it just was sort of, I mean, that story that he told me was about being at the end of the line, um, when he had to get off the blue line in, because, you know, you can't keep writing it back and forth. You have Mm -hmm. to get off and get back on. Um, and uh, that's when this person that he was riding the train with that he didn't know, but uh, they appeared to be deceased. And um, that idea that somebody could die in public and then not be noticed uh, was really striking to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that although I'd heard stories, you know, in the past, this was one that I wanted was when I was like, OK, this isn't just like anecdotal. These are becoming patterns. Um, and I wonder if we can start to try to quantify this so we could get a scope of what is actually going on and how it can be addressed. You looked into the demographics, too, That's uh, of
0: the, the folks who were, were dying of an mm-hmm. over, overdose on CTA property. Mm-hmm. Lay that out for us.
2: Yeah. So um, I looked at between 2018 and 2022, 158 people uh, died overdose deaths on the CTA property. Um, The majority of those were men, um, men around like 45 or so, um, and majority black. Um, I think 57% was the number of uh, black men that or a uh, total of black people that died on the CTA, um, followed then by white, and then like one percent other. Um, there were some women as well. Uh, but- so,
0: the, so the crisis, the opioid crisis, is, is disproportionately impacting. Black residents. Absolutely. And that's yeah. not exclusive to CTA.
2: No. Or and to that, Chicago. And it's not, well, it's not exclusive to Chicago, but it does, Chicago has always had a unique story, I think, in the opioid crisis and crises over the last, you know, decades really, is that uh, heroin deaths have never gone away in Chicago, right? There's been different waves, uh, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, but um, here the numbers are often older people. And black, older men, whereas, you know, the the crisis that we're thinking of the, from like the early 2000s was younger and white, which I think is one of the reasons why it got more media attention, because it was a newer, not that folks that fit that demographic weren't overdosing before, mm-hmm. but that this was like a newer burst, a newer pattern. Um, and I'm glad that those deaths get the attention they deserve. But I also think that the deaths that are occurring here, um, that maybe people are used to, in a way, um, we should stop being used to them.
0: Katie, you write about how CTA workers don't carry Narcan, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, or receive the training on how to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to pause for a moment before we talk more about that and, and get everyone on the same page. Just explain what Narcan is and what it does.
2: Yeah, um, so Narcan is this opioid overdose reversal medication. Um, it is either you you give it to someone as a nasal spray um, or you can do it as an injection depending on the form. The most kind of like popular one is the nasal. Uh, people have different reasons for using both. What it does is it basically uh, brings you back from an opioid overdose symptoms. So like the the, you know, your lower heart rate, your slowing of your breath, all of that—that's so important, you know—to to stop because it could lead to death. Uh, it, it it does that. Um, what it doesn't do is hurt you. So one of the really cool things about Narcan, like also known as naloxone, is that uh, you can't abuse it, um, which I. I hate to bring up as like the first concern, right, because there's so much stigma around drug users as it is Mm -hmm. um, that people like, well, what if they try to abuse it? And I'm like, first off, like it can't be abused. It's not like a medication like that. But also if someone needs to wanted to try it, nothing bad's going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. If you found someone that was maybe very drunk and passed out, but you didn't know if they were drunk or you didn't know if they had taken opioids, you could give them naloxone. It wouldn't bring them. It wouldn't wake them up from like an alcohol overdose, let's right. say, but it would not hurt them. Yeah. And so it's like if you don't know, you can apply and it. And it helps
0: you rule out what. And it helps you rule happening. out. Yeah. yeah.
2: And um, in an, Illinois, there's actually a few different laws that help give you um, protection uh, for using Narcan on a stranger or someone else um, to protect you from different types of liability.
0: Yeah. Sheila, your son was found with Narcan in in his pockets, right? Yes. And you say. Uh, It's not certain that he could have been revived, but Narcan can help reverse an overdose. So, I mean, as you're you're listening to to Katie talk there, talk about the significance for you to to be doing this outreach work and getting Narcan into folks'
1: hands. I just, yes, he had it on his person. um, And I could just see David being David, thinking, well, I'm going to go, I'll use, and I've got Narcan, I'll be okay. You know, I mean, thinking that maybe he could actually administer it. He had that sort of uh, self-sufficiency mindset. But I think that because it is so simple to use, it works pretty much immediately. It binds to the opiates in your system. Um, Having it available on the train, whether it's in the conductor car and someone can press a button and ask for the conductor to bring it down, or... If it's on the platform, the platforms themselves, there are Nalox boxes that Mm -hmm. can be maintained by other community, uh, not just the CTA, because we understand. We don't want to add to their burden. Um, I think that if people have it, they could look at someone if they're trained and be able to administer it and just – it's. Why not? You know, know, as Katie said, if somebody seemed to be drunk, somebody were bleeding, any other kind of first aid, I think when you have someone who's using substances, there's a big stigma around that, and we have to try to break that down. I now look at every substance user as somebody's child. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Now, in a statement to Reset, officials from the CTA pointed to a partnership with the Chicago Department of Public Health to provide a vending machine for Narcan at the 95th stop on the red line as well as uh, partnering with the staff from local social service organizations like Haymarket and Thresholds who provide outreach. Now, CTA officials say they're aware of at least one reversal of an overdose by a Haymarket provider. Your reaction, Sheila?
1: I think that's wonderful. I think we can only build on that. I think that what's great is that there are so many groups that want the same thing as the CTA because we all want to make the CTA safer and more attractive for people to ride it. We all need it. So having these groups come together, have different methods of being able to administer Narcan, whether it's a box on the platform, in the conductor's car, or someone carrying it in their purse, as I do. I think it's all good.
0: Let's bring another voice into the conversation, Chicagoan Daniel Rusick. Now, uh, Daniel started using drugs in the 90s, has been in and out of homelessness for more than a decade, and he's uh, relied on Narcan to help himself as well as others. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Good to see you.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I just want to say one thing. I don't think that Narcan should be on the 95th red line station because people don't go out down to the south side for drugs, for, you know, fentanyl or heroin. I think it should be on the green line on the west side because that's predominantly where the open air market is. Mm.
0: That's a that's an interesting point. I also want to point out, uh, Daniel, that on your way here to our, our studios at WBEZ, you saw someone yeah. unresponsive on the train. I just heard this from our producers, and, and you don't know all the details, but what can you share with us?
3: Um, unresponsive, um, and it just seemed like uh, everybody was just going about their day, like no big deal, like, hey, this train ride's taking... A long time to get us down here, don't do anything. And then when I got to the stop where I was getting off, I let the conductor know and she was like, "Oh, another one?"
0: Mm-hmm. But it stood out to you. No, probably it, immediately.
3: Immediately it did. Why? Uh just cuz her head was bouncing off the bar. Wow. Yeah. It's not the first time and it's probably not going to be the last time that I've seen it.
0: So you you talk about folks just kind of going about their their mornings. Mm. What does it say to you overall in terms of the, the scope of the opioid crisis and, and our collective response to it?
3: Mm, just a wasted person, you know, wasted space. They want to do this to themselves. Let them, let them do it, you know. Hmm. Everybody's too focused on their phones to lift their head up to see what's going, you know, what's going around them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What don't people understand about the opioid crisis?
3: It's bad. There's a lot of people doing it that, you know, that have been on it for a long time or, you know, or just starting out because their friends are like saying, hey, this is good, and they don't know how to moderate, and they don't know what they're getting. And it's just luck of the draw, I guess. Mm
0: -hmm. It's a disease.
3: Yeah, totally.
0: It runs in your family? Yep. How so?
3: Passed down. Parents were alcoholics. Grandparents were alcoholics. Aunts, uncles, all addicted to alcohol or when they're younger day they were drug users.
0: Mm -hmm. So So what did that look like to you when you were watching it as a kid? I'm assuming.
3: Yeah. Um, Did you know what was happening? Well, I knew I didn't want to drink because I saw my mom get beat. You know what I mean? And, uh, it was just available for me in my teenage years, and I just never did it. And I was a product of the rave scene. And, you know, it just, you just get caught. Mm-hmm. And then you got to feed that demon.
0: When you heard about Narcan for the first time, what'd you think?
3: It would, there's a stigma to it because people were afraid of getting in trouble if they called in on an overdose. So there was a stigma about it. And now that more people are starting to know about it, that stigma is gone. But a lot of people don't want to administer it because if they're not overdosing, it puts you into withdrawals. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh.
3: So, you know, there's like that, you know, hey, I don't want to mess him up and, you know, get him sick and have him get mad at me.
0: Really? Is that, that's your concern that they might feel that way about you when you're trying to help?
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen it numerous times. People yelling at people like for getting them out of a nod, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Hey, what'd you do? You ruined my buzz. What, you know, and then you put them in with, you know, withdrawals and then there's that blocker in there. So they got to wait a couple hours Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and you know, they get mad.
0: How often have you had to use it on people? Would you say, roughly?
3: Uh, Two so far this year.
0: Two so far this year. And it saved your life before. What would you want to tell someone who might be hesitant to use it?
3: Just use it. Life's too short.
0: Mm. What about you, Sheila? What would you want to say to people who just aren't as familiar with harm reduction?
1: You can save a life. I think Daniel is 100% correct. Use it. I think um, it, it is something that is easy to use. You are not going to be prosecuted. I've learned to use it. I think the hardest thing is overcoming our societal you know, bias against touching a stranger. I mean, that is hard. And it's not for everybody, I'll be honest. Not everybody can or wants to do it, but let's get it out there so that more people can yeah. and we can reduce the number of deaths on the CTA.
0: In your story, Katie, you, you point out how overdose deaths on the CTA are a small percentage of the total that we see in this city. Uh, but you also talk about the very public nature of these deaths. Why is it that these deaths are sometimes treated as invisible? You heard Daniel just even talk about what happened this morning.
2: Yeah, I think that there's a kind of, um, I think that there are deaths that culturally we take as it as for granted or as like outcomes that were predetermined, right? Like not every, every overdose death is in fact preventable. Um, that doesn't have to happen, but we have gotten used to the idea of, oh, if you're unhoused, you're going to die young, that's just tragic and sad. Or, oh, if you use drugs, you're taking your life into your own hands, that's just tragic and sad. And so these like deaths that are happening all around us aren't seen as newsworthy um, or as seen as like an individual problem. My research with addiction, um, my own familial experience with addiction, uh, there's just so many factors as to why someone becomes dependent on a substance. Mm -hmm. And at the very baseline, if you want people to stay alive so that they can make decisions for themselves, that can be healthy and good. And that looks different for everybody. Not everybody is going to do abstinence only. Mm -hmm. But like, why not keep people alive? another day so that they can, can, you know, try to take care of themselves. Yeah. And, and they deserve that, like we all do. You, you mentioned stigma,
0: Daniel, and, and you've experienced that stigma firsthand, right? Mm-hmm. You, you recently got housing, uh, but you've spent many years on the streets. Yes. And, and some people, when they walk by an unhoused person, we know that they tend to turn their face, right, as if they don't see you. Tell us a bit more about that and, and how those moments made you feel.
3: Um, like I said, everybody's got their uh, earbuds in or their AirPods. They're looking at their phone. They're just walking right past you. And, um, you know, it's uh, really didn't bother me because I knew who I was on the inside. Mm-hmm. But I could see a lot of people getting upset about it because, you know, they're not being heard or they're not being seen or they're not. You know, they're not getting money to, you know, like I said, it's a tough circle to break. You know, you got to sit outside to panhandle so you can get your medication so you can sit outside and panhandle and people don't get money. It's, it's frustrating. It's hard. And, you know, that's why retail thefts are up. It's just people don't carry cash anymore. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a horrible feeling.
0: But you're working to reduce harm. Right? Oh, You're doing what you can. What did you just slide across the table to me?
3: I gave you some Narcan.
0: You just gave me some Narcan because you just you just got it on you yeah, at all I, times. Yeah, I
3: carry it on me at all times.
0: What's your message to, to folks listening right now?
3: Um, it's free. Um, you don't have to buy it. Um, there's vending machines downtown. There's one on uh, Monroe and Wells. It's in a purple box. Just open up the door like you're getting a newspaper and take a box. Mm
0: -hmm. Leave us with this, Sheila. You say, you know, a lot of the outreach work that you're doing, it's to bring in humanity and dignity and to reduce harm to drug users. How do you feel like we can work past this stigma that we've been talking about?
1: I think, again, as a daily CTA rider, we look around everyone on that train. We're part of a community, and we know that this... Epidemic impacts families of color far more than white families like my own. What better way to create community on that train than to inject some care into the environment and say, look, we're here for each other. If I see someone whose head's banging the bar, can I ask if they're okay? I've done that numerous times. And usually they'll say, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Thanks. You know, thanks for asking. Um, Tearing down that wall. Why not? Why not? I mean, it's a way that we can do that. We don't have to sue anybody, we don't have to pass any legislation. We can just look up and look at each other and mm-hmm. say, Are you okay? Just be humans. Yes. That's
0: Sheila Black Henneke, a volunteer for the West Side Opioid and Heroin Task Force, Chicagoan Daniel Russick, and Chicago reader reporter Katie Prout. We're talking about opioid overdoses on public transit. This Reset Conversation was produced by Max Lubers It was edited by Dan Tucker and Ethan Schwab. We have important conversations like this every day on Reset. We host interviews daily from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can tune in to WBEZ 91.5 FM or stream live at wbez.org slash live. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk soon.